On today's episode, we look into the surprisingly long history of cloning that led to the birth of one of the most famous sheep in the world. There's a rare isotope of hydrogen that gets us into heavy water. Loves a chemical reaction in the brain So let me be your Bunsen burner Let me be your naked flame burn, baby, burn. Let me be your Bunsen burner burn, baby, burn. Let me be your naked flame Welcome to Light Your Bunsen Burner, the science history podcast that lights up your mind. I'm Mariela Rosas, and joining me as always is a man who is his own evil clone. That's right. The never hated, sometimes X-rated, <laughs> never duplicated, but might be replicated. I am the one and only Jonah Baker. Unless there's a clone of me out there. There probably is. I'd like well, to actually, no, Jonah, you're very unique. No one could clone you. On that note, thank you all for joining us today. Um, Jonah, yep. you are a very unique person. Oh, yeah? Why do you say that? Oh, just because there's no one like unique. you. You got purple hair. You know what? In That's in my unique. lab, there I'm there are three people now who have purple hair. What? Yeah. They're cloning you. They're yeah, they're well, I no, mean, I guess Mary Yellow clones running around being like Oh god, no. No. Please, please don't clone me. There's enough horror in this world. <laughs> Um, we need more Mariellas. No. 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 Okay. So let me just ask you something. Right. Do you think that if someone were to clone you, that that clone would be exactly the same as you? No, hell no. Because, like, it, it I don't know. Like, okay, well, for starters, we would go our separate ways and we would okay. have two different journeys. And when we uh -huh. met, we would have to battle to the death. And, okay. But before we battle, we would like let each other know our journeys and okay. stuff like that. And it's so be like, like story time and then battle. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, because it'll be like a badass anime where we'll be like telling our story as we battle. <laughs> <laughs> the battle will tell the story for okay. us. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. All but, right. um, okay, so there's that part. So no, mm -hmm. I don't think at that point, like definitely not. You know, we would yeah, start creating yeah. our own memories and feelings and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And uh, I guess the only other part to that would be, like, would um, would uh, uh, though it may have like memories that I have. Mm -hmm. Does it really have the feelings of like that shit I went through? Because like. Like, you know how you have those memories where you just remember shit, mm -hmm, but then yeah. you have those memories where it brings up feelings and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well, I guess, like, the point is that, you know, your experiences and your individual life shape who you are, which is not what most people think of as cloning. People don't really incorporate that. So it turns out cloning is a little bit more complex than, like, science fiction will have, have you believe. Really? I can't just take some skin follicle of you and put it into my test tube of neat juice, science juice. And like, okay, please don't do <laughs> neat juice. Vortex the hell out of it and syringe it out and put it into like some kind of tissue and incubate it. And then blah, next thing you know, I have a crazy, you might get a blah a monster, <laughs> but you wouldn't, well, I kind of do that sometimes. <laughs> I am a blah monster. That's like my morning routine. <laughs> Blah. That's how I get up. Blah. You just you take some skin follicles. You some skin follicles. Go blah. Every morning you're cloned. Yeah. 
And the other one's just like, I don't know, like disintegrates. Pretty much. Oh. Drinks himself to death every night. himself to death. Oh my God. Well, so let's talk about one of my favorite films again. So in the film Jurassic Park. Oh, I see that movie. <laughs> God, everyone should have at it's least It's the one with seen. the dinosaurs, right? It's the one. Oh, yeah. Right. I think. Yeah. So dinosaur DNA is extracted from blood found in mosquitoes trapped in amber. The DNA is then mixed with amphibian DNA, which is not correct in any way at all. Uh, it would much have worked better if it was like with chickens. But um, anyways, and then it's that DNA is used to, you know, clone a bunch of awesome dinosaurs that then wreak havoc on, you know, unsuspecting park goers or, you know, who are subjected to Jeff Goldblum's chest. Well, some people <laughs> want to turn them into weapons for the military. Isn't that later on in the much later on? Yeah, that's like the second. That's like Jurassic World. They do that up. in Jurassic Park too, oh, like they? Lost World. Yeah, that's why they're wait right. That's why they're like getting all the the dinosaurs oh, off the right. island. Yeah. Or is that to make a different island? I mm-hmm. well, we, we need to. Catch I need up to. On I Jurassic need to rewatch Park. my my franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah, so much like that, you know, from, you know, the warriors on Terran race and Doctor Who to the clone armies and Star Wars, science fiction is replete with the clone, with like pl- clone technology. That's like one of the tropes. But these are examples where cloning appears as a simplified kind of cut and paste method. And today we are going to talk about the science facts about cloning, not the science fiction. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> and to do that, we're going to have to take a trip within ourselves Ooh, maybe we'll discover like something great about ourselves and even learn a lesson in the process well some of us will find something great all right some some of us will just learn to masturbate and some are dead inside yeah (laughs) (laughs) those are the ones ones those are gonna be those are the ones masturbating (laughs) (laughs) so into the nucleus of ourselves let's go take a trip so this is going to be the very core of what makes us well us let's dive in Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm tripping into the core of the nucleus, dude. <laughs> I'm like riding that double helix, man. Dude, I had a mushroom trip that was like that. Really? I was like, because I was studying genetics, and I took way too many mushrooms before a study session, and then I was just like staring at my book at a picture of the du- double helix, and suddenly I'm like in it, just like spiraling down it, like you know, like oh. you would, like you would slide down one of those like staircases, like on the mm-hmm. rail, but on the double helix. Oh, it was wow. crazy. Um, yeah. The closest thing I ever got to that was I was like doing acid, and I instead of playing my bass, I was playing like the bone structure. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. I don't know. <laughs> Like, so instead of fingering your base, you were boning your mm-hmm. base. Which is, I mean, nothing new. Oh, you, know. you know, you're going to do that once I leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, base, how you doing? Let me get to second. Wait, third base? <laughs> base. Damn. Damn. <laughs> nice. That was so close. <laughs> okay. So to understand cloning, we have to start with our genome. So, Jonah, do you want to take a crack at explaining what the genome is? Uh, Yeah, the genome. See, I remember in the Clinton years, they were really excited because they finally got, like, the blueprints on the genome map. They found it on her dress. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Wow, that was horrible. um, Genome, isn't that, like, 
kind of like a map of our DNA structure? Um, kind of. Okay, so genome is a term that kind of seems familiar to us, right? Uh, but really, it really entered into the common lexicon following the hype behind the Human Genome Project, which, like you mentioned, during like the latter part of the Clinton years, <laughs> <laughs> he got her her genome all over a cigar. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why he was impeached. Well, well <laughs> okay, we're not that Anyways, kind of podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, and our to next, genomes. yeah. <laughs> What's up, genomes? Um, yeah, in our, you know, subsequent podcast, light your pitchfork. We'll talk politics, but not not unlike your Bunsen burner. <laughs> really, yeah, kind we, of. Sometimes we do. We stick to the facts, ma'am, and just the yes. facts. <laughs> so, anyways, so in its simplest definition, the genome of an organism is the entirety of the DNA sequences found in that organism. So it's like all the DNA in your body. Well, it's like your cell, basically. So while it kind of seems straightforward, it doesn't really speak to what the genome does. Okay. Genome. He's just chilling there. This is genome nomen. Like, yeah, I bet you want to know what I do. <laughs> so uh, your genome or kind of like your DNA, rather, is often described as a blueprint, a set of instructions about how to build an organism. However, it's, it is better to consider it as kind of like a massive database. So you see, each and every cell in your body contains all the DNA. That's all the information to make an entire individual. So that's in each and every cell of your body. But through various processes, the cells of your body only utilize the information necessary to function uh, as the specialized cell. So, for example, if you had to build a table, you're not going to build an entire house with everything else in it. You're just going to pull up the instructions to make the table. So that's kind of what your genome is. It's like you can go into it and pull up the instructions on how to make a liver cell or how to make a, you know, eyeball cell. Or just the cells, though, right? Well, it's like everything that that's going to make a. Um, okay, so <laughs> it's really hard to kind of like explain some of this stuff um, without getting into a lot of like the background of like how genetics works, because like the central dogma of molecular biology is like you have DNA, well, DNA to RNA to proteins, where DNA is like the set of instructions. Okay. RNA is kind of like that narrowed view of the instructions. So, like, the, your DNA is, like, all, like, that massive database. Okay. The all RNA the is, like, just, you know, you're kind of focusing in on just the one thing. Okay. And then the protein is, like, the structural forms that kind of build everything else. Okay, the model. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, that's kind of what your genome is. It's just, like, a set of instructions for everything. All right. Mm -hmm. So my genome is just a set of instructions on how my DNA got all over the place. I think that's your your browser history. <laughs> <laughs> that has a lot of DNA on it too. <laughs> okay, so now consider that in the human body there are two hundred different types of cells. You know, not two different two hundred just big types of cells. It's like types, like a whole different array of of different cell types that do different things. And for clarity, a cell is the smallest structural functional unit of life. So everything in your body is made of cells, right? Mm -hmm. Your cells are themselves made of, you know, protein structures and lipid membranes and like different molecular structures in there. It's, it's like being like, oh, the, the wood part or like the particles in a brick 
are what makes the, the, the cell and then the brick is the cell. Oh, okay. And then the brick can be used to build bigger and bigger things. Yeah, so we're like the bigger and better things. Yes. Our cells are like the bricks. And okay. And that's like a really, really simplistic view of it or like an explanation of it. We should keep it simple. Because, yeah, biology is really beautiful, but really complex. It can get really complex. There's so many bricks in it. There's so many bricks. So many bricks in biology. Mm -hmm. It'll hit a wall. All right, let's let's wrap this thing up, guys. <laughs> All right, so we got 200 different types of cells yeah. cruising through our body. Yep. Doing their thing, making bricks and mm-hmm. building buildings and yeah. all that great stuff. So. so each of these cell types is specialized to carry out a very specific function in your body. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So like the long axons of a nerve cell and the structural features of a bone cell were all generated from the same set of genetic instructions because all cells arose from the same fertilized egg, right? So all your cells, like what you are right now, all came from one single cell. All right. Yeah, which is a fertilized egg. And then Yeah, I remember that. We were partying all night and got (laughs) it on. So one cell can ultimately create every cell in the body, which is what I just said. And of course, for this part of the discussion, we are talking about, you know, sexually reproducing multicellular organisms. Like there's other types of organisms that can just, you know, bud or they reproduce asexually or they produce spores. Or There's like a... There's different ways of getting it done, but we're going to stick with the bow, chicka, wow, wow. We like the freaky shit here. We're about that freaky shit. Just facts, ma'am. Just facts. So, on that note, let's talk about sex, Jonah. All right. Let's uh, talk I, about sex, baby. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> let's talk about biology. <laughs> so, let's many... talk about all the genomes there, maybe. <laughs> God, I, I'm sh- I hope people like when we sing. Because what's coming up later, guys? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't read the script, so I'm fucked. <laughs> So, uh, many animals and plants reproduce sexually, meaning that two gametes, or two sex cells, join together. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is the exact sound when two cells join. Yeah. Yeah. So, in humans and basically all mammals, joining occurs between an ovum and a sperm cell. Uh, ovum being the, the female cell and the sperm being the dude cell. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So the gametes are haploid cells, meaning they contain only one set of chromosomes compared to the two sets of chromosomes that a diploid cell contains. Diploid. Like not more fun to say. Diploid. Diploid. Um, there's like a DJ named Diplo. His name's Diplo, not Diploid. DJ Diploid. (laughs) Hey, you can you can do that. There you go. Um. And you just, and like, there's the one that has like the marshmallow head. You can just have a sperm head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm down with that. I'm not too far off already. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Um, and then I can just leave my DNA all over the place and be like, that's what oh, I do. D- DJ Diploid. DJ Diploid. <laughs> Deployed the Diploid. <laughs> And then, no. uh, DNA all over the place. Some Boom. chromosomes for you. Some gemos for you, baby. Some gametes over to the... <laughs> there we go. Where my, where my haploids at. Um, yeah, so once the egg and, and the sperm unite, they make the diploid cell. So now they have the two sets of chromosomes. So And the chromosomes are just super tightly coiled DNA. That's what, you know, like you 
see the pictures of yeah. like the little X looking things. And that's just really, really, really tightly coiled DNA. Um, a bunch of it though, right? A whole bunch of it. Well, it's like one super long strand. Oh. And then it's just coiled and coiled and coiled and coiled oh, into okay. this shape. That, into, that's uh, how it can the fit. The little X's and the... Yeah, the X's and O's and, and, and the H's, the X's and O's, and the Y's and, and the K looking ones. Yeah. So at this very early stage, the zygote is considered a totipotent cell. The side goat? The zygote. Oh, I like side goat better. But the side uh, goat? <laughs> that's, that's that's not my main goat. That's my side goat. Yeah, that's my side goat. <laughs> <laughs> I only get my cheese from that motherfucker, you know? <laughs> like, what do you what definitely do you, don't get my gemoids from that? Oh my god. So, so, um, a totipotent cell. <laughs> We're never going to get through. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, back to the totipotent cell. <laughs> so, a totipotent cell can give rise to all the other cell types. So, this is just a single cell, and it has the, you know, capability of turning into any of those 200 types of cells oh shit That's so it's like cell. the eevee of cells basically yeah yeah except if we're t thinking of like pokemon because oh, okay. i don't know totipotent kind of makes me think of pokemon okay so think of so yeah. then if he was like a totipo i choose you totipo it'd be like <laughs> like he'd have to be around other pokemon to like pick their powers and shit kind of oh i guess maybe it's more like um what's the little goopy one that can turn into everything Let's <laughs> <laughs> call him Goopy. <laughs> and he his power no, is he can, got, Oh my god, we're, uh, is he Toady Pope or he's, or he's, he's, he's like Toady Potent. He can turn into everything. All right. Um go Toady Pope. I oh my god, I'm picturing oh my this is it's gonna come back to me later on. People help us with our Pokemon. <laughs> this is much more important than the G Mones. The G Mones. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so that cell can turn into any of the 200 cell types. All right, cool. So, um, this is like cell has been fertilized. The the two, uh, like the, the ovum and the sperm have combined. They're, um, they're now a diploid organism, so they have two sets of chromosomes, and it's a totipotent cell. Okay, so Just they're diplomatic, and they're trying to get, like, business started, so they got <laughs> these... Totally potent motherfuckers ready to work and they're like, line mm -hmm. up and get your job. Yeah, so, so it's it's just one cell so far. Okay. We have one cell. So within the first two days after fertilization, the egg begins to divide or replicate. Eventually, it becomes a ball of 16 to 32 cells called a morula. And again, morula sounds like a Pokemon to me. By the way, guys, I'm kind of fighting off a cold right now. So if like my voice sounds a little sexy, <laughs> that's why. So pluripotent cells need to team up with her uh, topian cells <laughs> and the totipotent cells so they mm -hmm. can like identify themselves as like white blood cells mm -hmm. so they can attack off that virus that you got going on. Yeah. Totipotent. So, yeah. Funnily enough, morula comes from like the, the Latin word for like mulberry or something because really? like. You know, once once you have like a little ball of sixteen or like thirty two cells, it kind of looks like a little berry looking oh, thing. Okay. Yeah. So communication between the cells induces the formation of a blastocele, which is a fluid filled cavity in the morula. Fluid filled cavity just sounds amazing. Sounds like a fun <laughs> night. Jonah, you ever been a fluid filled cavity? <laughs> I've had a cavity. You've had a cavity filled. <laughs> 
So, so this this stage is known as the blastocyst stage. I bet it is <laughs> the blastocyst stage when it's just a fluid filled cavity. So this stage is important during development because it's where when cell differentiation begins. Oh, yeah, this is the important stuff. Yes, this is this is what starts to make you you. Okay. Um, so differentiation is the process by which cells in early development specialize into their every type of cell. Within the blastocyst is a cluster of cells called the inner cell mass. These cells are pluripotent as opposed to totipotent. Or that this means that they can differentiate into every cell in the body but cannot form an entire organism. Mm. So a totipotent cell... That one can just start dividing and create every type of cell and eventually an entire organism. A pluripotent cell can just turn into any type of cell or like can divide into any type of cell. But it's not going to become an organism. You can't induce it to become an organism. You can get it to be like just liver cells, but you can't induce it to become a liver and then like a kidney and then all the other stuff that would make an organism. Okay. Yeah. So it is just what it is. Yeah. It'll, you know... This I, okay. This one's more like the Eevee of Pokemon because it can only turn into like the specific set of Eevees, oh, okay. or like the evolutions of Eevees, as opposed to the goopy pink one that can turn into any Pokemon. <laughs> I can't okay. think. So, ditto, ditto, ditto. Oh, ditto! I know. Ditto. That. Okay. It's called ditto. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> and it's so much easier to say than the Totopint. <laughs> Oh, there's going to be harder words, Jonah. Can't wait. <laughs> when does Pikachu get in on this? Well, we're getting to Pikachu. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So these cells are, you know, pluripotent. In other words, if you plucked one of these cells from the inner cell mass, it would not start forming an embryo. You can just get it to form like kidney cells or something. Okay. So totipotent and pluripotent cells are all types of sper- are um, all types of stem cells. Okay. So stem cells, you know, stem, that sounds more familiar. Not sperm cells. I almost said sperm cells, mm-hmm. but it's stem cells. Maybe I got that sperm on them. <laughs> they can't. Well, no, no. Um, so, I mean, the term sperm of sperm. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. I just have sperm in my brain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the the fluid in my cavities. Oh my god! The fluid and she got that fluid in the cavity on the mind. Yep. All right. So tell us more about this cavity. I mean this. <laughs> yeah. So stem cells are something that's more familiar. Okay. Um. So there are two other types of stem cell potency, and potency is just like the ability of the cell to to like differentiate or like the extent to which it can differentiate. So there's multipotency and oligopotency, uh, and these happen in progenitor cells. Uh, these are cells that will differentiate into like discrete cell types. And progenitor, like for example, progenitor blood cells can form all types of all the different types of blood cells. So you can get like your white blood cells, your red blood cells, and like all like the different subtypes of that um, from progenitor cells but you're not going to get them to differentiate into like all the different types or into an organism so they're more tightly controlled you know yeah okay um so uh cell types and differentiation and potency may all sound kind of confusing but just kind of keep in mind that eventually cells end up as specific types and they cannot naturally go back to being totipotent or like completely differentiable 
right? So they can't go back to the beginning. Like okay. once they've completely differentiated, they can go back to the beginning. It's like adult Jonah can't go back to being baby Jonah, except in his brain. <laughs> yeah, I do all the time. <laughs> <I do. laughs> People are like, what's wrong um, that guy? Yeah. So a skin cell will remain a skin cell throughout its lifetime. That is because in these somatic, somatic cells, that's the term for them, or vegetal cells, the genes needed for that cell type are the only ones activated. These cells are kind of like the table. In the process of differentiation, like different genes are kind of turned off, quote unquote. So you're not, you're not going to have the gene that's going to create like liver enzymes in a brain cell. And if you do, that's really bad. <laughs> Something so went really off, bad. Like a vegetal cell. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, we know which way those those cells swing. Oh, veg- uh, only one way now. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> there's no going back. There's no going back. Um. So, what if there was a way to make the house from the table? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds it, it, impossible. You need like a lot of table, right? You need, yeah, it sounds impossible. And I guess that's kind of where that metaphor falters. Because you can't rearrange the table to make the house. But you can take the DNA in a somatic cell and have it grow into a full organism. And that's where cloning comes in. Yeah. Yay! Everybody's spirit fingers. Ooh, yes. Yeah. We need like the, that Ooh, horn. lasers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sound effects provided by Jonah Baker. <laughs> Yay. So what are clones? Jonah, mm-hmm. definition, go. Um, clones is the replica of something. <laughs> Sorry, it, it a, put you on the spot. It is a stormtrooper that runs around trying to fucking destroy the uh, Jedi because they're jealous of their the power, uh, the force, their cells that they got going on up in them, okay. you know, and their trapoids or whatever <laughs> genomes. <laughs> so yeah, clones don't like their genomes because their genomes are better than their genomes, and uh-huh. so yeah, that's clones and bam. Okay, <laughs> okay, let's go with a different definition. Okay, so clones <laughs> essentially are molecule cells or individuals derived from a single ancestor. So you can have clone molecules, like a clone DNA uh, strand, or you can have cloned cells. Like you can have like a whole like cell line that's essentially clones of one single organism or or one single cell. Bacteria are technically mostly clones of like one single bacterium. That's what a cell colony is. Um, So when fertilized eggs are dividing, sometimes after the first division, the two cells split. Since these are still totipotent cells, they go on to form two separate embryos with the same genetic makeup. So in essence, identical twins are also clones. Nice. Because they came from the same cell. So basically you're coming, whatever a clone is, it's coming from the same starting point. And then it's being made into two or more. Okay. Yeah. So splitting an embryo during its totipotent stage, so, so when it can differentiate into everything, is one way to make clones. This is widely used in the farm industry to clone animals. An unfertilized egg is fertilized in a petri dish through in vitro, fertil- in vitro fertilization. The egg is then allowed to divide in the petri dish until it reaches that stage of 8 to 16 cells. So it's allowed to like divide a couple times. Okay. 
These cells are then carefully, carefully separated. So each cell is pulled apart. The separate cells go into individual embryos, embryos which are then implanted into surrogate mothers. So when they're still at that that 16 to 8 to 16 cell stage, they're still totipotent. So they're still going to start creating a new embryo. Okay. I like to see the uh, scalpel they use to cut those apart. I think usually they might use lasers. like little tiny... <laughs> Little tiny lasers or something like <laughs> it's like a little tiny pipette, and they oh. kind of like just like kind of tap it and like suction it up a little bit and separate them like that. Oh, that's cute. We'll, we'll get into some other really cute stuff right now. Oh, <clears throat> I want one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this type of cloning can be used on any mammalian em embryo, even humans. So, this is the easy method, but it can only be conducted on cells that are in the totipotent stage. So like that very, very early stage. So there is a limit on how many clones you can get from one egg. Because after after a certain stage, they stop being totipotent. They start being pluripotent and then they differentiate even further and you can't bring them back. Mm, Not through right. this way. Okay. So <laughs> we need them as totipotent. Yes. For, right. for this specific type of cloning, we need the cells to be totipotent. Okay. Got yeah. It. So the more technical method is called nuclear cell transfer. Ooh. So in this method, a cell is grown into the 16 to 32 cell stage or later. So now it's past that totipotent stage. The cells are separated and the nucleus, just the nucleus, so the nucleus is where the, the DNA is, mm -hmm. where the chromosomes are, from each cell is removed and then it's implanted into an egg cell that has had its own nucleus removed. Whoa. Mm -hmm. It's like taking the brain out of someone and putting a new brain in. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Perfect. Perfectly stated, Jonah. So basically, you're replacing the genetic material of the egg with that of the desired clone. Um, the clones are then implanted into the surrogate. Uh, with this method, you can end up with 32 or more of the same clone because you can get it, get those cells to grow a lot more. And then you can get a whole bunch of those, that exact same like genome and then put it into just basically shells of damn that's pretty so dope. this this type of cloning is not limited by the cell's potency so let's kind of get into some of the history of cloning because it may seem like a modern kind of thing right but it's not and really? this was surprising to me okay. so so yeah cloning may seem like a very modern bio uh, biotechnical innovations. However, we have been cloning plants for millennia. So that's like when you that's just take true, a huh? cutting. Yeah. yeah, that's technically cloning. Um, when it comes to animals, the development of the aforementioned techniques date back only about a century. So this is kind of going back into the early 1900s. We'll briefly go over some of the advances in cloning te technology. Um, Jonah, what do you think was the very first animal cloned? Probably either um, a rat or a frog. Really, really, really close. A rat frog? A frog rat. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No. Technically, the... F well, we'll get into the frogs. <laughs> but technically, the first animal clone was an urchin. So uh, really? in 18... Yeah. Okay. You know, the little yeah. ball-looking things? Yeah. The meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Urchins are dope. So in 1885, German, German embryologist Hans Adolf Eduard Dreisig... <laughs> Perfect. I'm from Germany from 1885. Perfect. Beautiful. Stunning. <laughs> um, so he realized that just by shaking 
a two-celled sea urchin embryo, you could separate the two cells. Each cell would no then... Way. That yeah. easy? Just shake it. Just shake the fuck Just out shake of it. it. Give me your fucking <laughs> Just cells. Just shake it. It's This is the... Give know, me that embryo. Just shake it. Uh, <laughs> so then each cell would develop into uh, its own sea urchin. So he showed that each cell contained the genetic instructions to grow a complete organism. Neat. Yeah. Now, another German embryologist, also named Hans, this one Hans Spumann, Spumann? Spimon. Spimon. So, like, do you think everyone in that village was named Hans? I think during this time in German history, everyone was named Hans, Hans or Spiemann, Wilhelm Adolf. or, or it, Adolf. <laughs> Hans yeah, I think Adolf, after Adolf, 1945, Hans the number Spimon. of German Adolfs like completely declined. Oh man, <laughs> not a very popular name in Germany. I know a guy named Adolf, and he's a great, great dude. Is he German? No, he's Hispanic. Okay, um, <laughs> so Spiemann, he uh, succeeded in splitting uh, two cells of a salamander embryo. So he tied it, Spiemann, mm-hmm, and he did it in the most adorable way. So he tied a very tiny noose around the cells using a baby hair from his own baby, and he tied it until they split. All right. So he took a little hair from his baby and just wrapped it around a cell, like a, a wow, yeah. Um, Go so, Spiemann. Yeah, so he grew himself a pair of little salamander clones. Uh, he tried the same technique on more advanced embryos, but found that these other cells did not develop as well. So he was, Ooh. like, letting them divide for a bit and then tried that same technique. And they didn't really grow into a – they didn't grow well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of deformed salamanders. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of decades, decades later, he also demonstrated a crude form of nuclear transfer. He tied a baby hair – and he really loved his baby hair. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Around a – a part of a fertilized salamander egg, pushing the nucleus to one side of the cell. So it's kind of like a little bulge and then a big mm-hmm. bulge with the nucleus. So essentially there was nothing in that that little side bulge. Um, so after, um, so only the side with the uh, of the cell with the nucleus divided. So you have like one side that's like dividing and dividing and one little bulge that's just not doing anything because okay. there's no genetic material in there. Um, so after a few divisions, he loosened the noose so like that little baby hair, he untied it, and this one of the the nucleuses went back into that little space, and that cell started separating, and it grew into a complete separate salamander. Ooh! So this showed that the nucleus controls development. So he did a lot with baby hair and salamander eggs. And bulging. And bulging. Yeah. What what can you accomplish with some baby hair and salamander eggs? <laughs> Definitely a bulge. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so so okay (laughs) so nuclear transfer in its proper form was developed by american 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 bulge by american scientists robert briggs and thomas king while working with Frogs! Yay! So, in their experiment, Briggs and King removed the nucleus from a frog egg and implanted it, um, and implanted the nucleus from an early tadpole embryo. So they took the nucleus of one one cell and then put it into uh, an empty egg. Okay. Because I mean, frog frog eggs are pretty big, so they're really easy to work with. Um, 
So this cell grew into a full frog. They tried the same experiment using cells from from a more developed tadpole, but the cells didn't uh, divide or develop well, or the clones, you know, grew abnormally. So you have like deformed little froggies. Oh, and you don't want that. So in a very very similar experiment, uh, John Gordon, who was British, a British bloke, the bloke John Gordon, he yeah. said, "We're not doing these." We are not doing the. Wait, are you British correctly. or are you German? <laughs> We're not. We are not speaking the German correctly. We need frogs that are like Ninja Turtles. <laughs> you lost it. Not okay. retarded salamanders. No, no. So, um, so in a similar exper- experiment. He transferred a donor nucleus into an enucleated egg and grew a clone frog. So what was special about his experiment was that he used the nucleus from a tadpole's in- intestinal cell. Really? So instead of just an embryo, he took the, the, the nucleus from an in- already differentiated intestinal cell. So he managed to grow a clone from a fully differentiated cell. This further proved that cells retain all their genetic information even once they've differentiated. Mm. So that proved that like all all that genetic material is still there and it can under certain conditions it can still be prompted to create a new organism. Damn, I'm ready for the fertilization. Oh yeah, we're about to fertilize some stuff right now. So yep. and we're gonna do it in a petri dish. <laughs> so <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> That's how I do all my fertilizing. So the advent of in vitro fertilization in the latter latter part of the 20th century made cloning mammals possible because we kind of have to have a little incubator because a a frog you can grow outside of another frog while a mammal you have to put it back into another mammal to let it grow. Um, So in 1884, Danish scientist Steen Villa... Willetson. Willetson? Okay. Willetson? Yeah, Willetson. Like, that's not even hard. <laughs> in 1984, Danish scientist Steen Willetson, working at the British Agricultural Research Council's Institute of Animal Physiology in Cambridge, managed to do just that. He used a chemical process to separate one cell from an eight-cell lamb embryo and fused it to an to another nucleated cell, I can't speak, uh, through small electrical shocks. Straight out of Cambridge, motherfuckers. (laughs) We need shirts, let's say that. (laughs) So the cell started dividing, and a few days later, it was implanted into a surrogate sheep. Three, Three live lambs were born from this process, and then just three years later, cows were added to the list of animals that had been cloned. Um, scientists produce uh, two clone cows that they named Fusion and Copy Aww. through this process. And that's like where you get those famous pictures with the like the cows with two heads and stuff like that. No, that's not done through cloning. That's just freak show stuff that I like to look that's at. Just, that's just nature or sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah. That just sometimes All happens. Right. All right, we're going to take a Siamese break. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. We're Siamese. <laughs> No. Yeah. 
And we're back. Um, so we kind of went through the history, some of the history and some of the technical stuff about cloning. So now we come to the 1990s. Oh, I was coherent then. You were, you were, well, were you? <laughs> we're like some of it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a time when everyone, you know, wore plaid, listened to grunge and then let their Tamagotchis die or something. Um, it's also when I was born. Uh, that it's when... <laughs> That's what Mariella was doing in the 90s. Well, actually, no, this is what I thought everyone was doing in the 90s. Because during the 90s, for the most part, I was just a little Mexican girl growing up in a rural town in Mexico. Yeah. She hopped on that bus going anywhere. <laughs> going to El Norte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the 90s was also the time when mammal cloning reached its pinnacle. Ooh. So, all right, Jonah. What up? You're going to have to go. To Mexico? And get me, because I'm three years old. Because the year is 1995. Okay, I was 15, so... Okay, cool. Go kidnap a (laughs) three-year-old. So, and then let's go to the University of Edinburgh's Rosslyn Institute. So this is where a team of scientists is working on cloning technology. With me and Mariella there. Yes, we're going to just show up, bust down those doors, and be like, we're here for the cloning. Yep. We're here for the diploids. (laughs) So the team was composed of Keith Campbell, Jim McWear, William Ritchie, and Ian Wilmot, along with an assortment of other embryologists, surgeons, vets, and farm staff. So at the Rosslyn Institute, cloning had never really been the primary goal. Um, Under Margaret Thatcher, who was one of the prime ministers of the UK or England or that area of the world, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the the precursor of the Rosslyn Institute, which was the animal breeding research organization, faced major budget cuts. So in order to kind of try to make money, they redirected their focus towards genetic engineering with the goal of making valuable pharmaceuticals in the milk of genetically modified sheep by injecting relevant DNA into embryos. So we're trying to create transgenic sheep so that they could milk them and it have like you know, usable pharmaceuticals. So you can make insulin or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it'd be yeah, like... Because sheep milk's not that good. I don't nope. like that with my cereal. Well, then you'd like isolated and I don't like, you don't like transgenic sheep milk with your no, cereal in no, the morning? No, it definitely has to be isolated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so accordingly, part of the funding for this research came from a privately owned Scottish company called PPL Therapeutics. Nice. So, you know, it's kind of like a weird mixture of like they're getting like public funding from the government, uh, from the university, and then they're also getting private funding. So it's kind of a weird mixing of funding cavity fluids, mm. <laughs> fluid cavities. Of Most funding. of my fundage has it's, something to do with cavity fluids. It's it's mixed. Mm. There's a lot of mixing in your funding. You... <laughs> um, so getting back to the Roslyn guys, the group had identified a protein that it influences how a recipient egg accepts an implanted nucleus, and this was called maturation promoting factor, or you know as we'll call it now. MPF because maturation pr- promoting factor is a lot to say. <laughs> but it's so fun. Maturation. Mm-hmm. So like it's okay to maturate <laughs> as this... long as you're promoting your factor. <laughs> That's not what it does. So remember how 
nuclear transfer is done by taking the nucleus of one cell and putting it into an egg that has it that has had its own nucleus removed. Yes. Okay. So this this MPF um, helps it kind of like promote cell division. So eggs with a low MPF concentration rarely accept a donor nucleus without chromosomal damage. Really? Yeah. Why? Because one of the the so it's it's kind of regulates how the cell cycle happens. Okay. So it promotes um, either entrance into mitosis or meiosis. So if there's not a lot of this protein, that cell is less likely to start dividing. Mm, okay. Okay. So you know if you're trying to include um, so one of the things about nuclear transfer is that you have to get the the nucleus to kind of fuse with the the uh, egg. Okay. Um, so that it like kind of takes it up. Okay, Otherwise, so. it's just kind of free floating, and, and like a lot of like the other stuff that's in the egg that also promotes development um, won't have access to the nucleus because okay. there's there's the egg cell provides a lot of other stuff than just genetic material. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the issues and one of the reasons that you'd have a lot of like abnormally, you know growing organisms was that sometimes the chromosomes were damaged during this process because it's a very delicate process right to take the the nucleus from one thing and put it into another thing because they're very you know small um microscopic people yeah so with low concentrations of mpf it was less likely to have chromosomal damage so this makes the clone cell more likely to divide and grow into a full organisms without any defects in eggs with high MPF concentrations, nucleuses can only be transferred if they have two usable copies of each chromosome or if it is in a state of quiescence. That, that's another fun word. Quiescence. 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 Yeah, so quiescence so is... When, so when you're not uh, maturation or promoting your factor or anything like that, you're, you're actually going forth with the quiescence. You are quiescent, yeah. So yeah. quiescence is a state of, of a cell in which it does not divide but retains the ability to re-enter cell division. It's kind of in a resting phase. Okay, so it's like, you know, it's like just catching its breath and go for round yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Smoking a cigarette real quick, you know, <laughs> oh getting God. ready for that second round of quiescence. <laughs> Why? What? Why is masturbation such a good metaphor for cell division? <laughs> okay. Because of the ending factor. <laughs> you know, the, the part we all celebrate. Well, <laughs> um, okay, so the team at Rosslyn had two hypotheses regarding how to make clones from cells grown in the lab. Because, you know, you can take a bunch of cells from, like, um, animals and stuff but you kind of want to it's easier to have more control over them if you're keeping them in the lab so the first was proposed by dr jim mcweir he thought that they needed to use totipotent cells so those are the ones that can divide into anything that could grow into any cell type in order to make a cloned embryo that's what i thought too yeah so that's what he thinks so let's talk about what he did. So he wanted to culture these cells from sheep in the lab. So just kind of grow them in the lab. Okay. Um, the second hypothesis came from Keith Campbell. I hate the name Keith. Because um, so, it sounds like you have a lisp. Keith. Keith. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's all. I just hate the name Keith. So Keith thought. So take that, Keith. Take that, Keith. You know, you 
like world-renowned researcher. <laughs> I hate your name. Uh, so Keith thought that it would be easier to just transfer the nuclei from a differentiated cell if the uh, it would be easier to transfer nuclei from a differentiated cell if the recipient egg cells the cytoplasm so like the egg all the goopy stuff in the egg if it if that was also in a state of quiescence damn so it's not yeah sounds, so there's two kind of like that sounds like it now now that i know a little bit more that sounds like it would work better yeah so like you're trying to yeah um so this is what they did through 1995 and then part of 1996, they worked on both hypotheses. They used Scottish black-faced sheep. These are not racist sheep. These are just sheep who were born with black faces. And remember, Mariel and I were there to make sure everything <laughs> we, was PC. We were double-checking everything. Yeah. So we, we don't do black-faced sheep. <laughs> so, but white-faced is kind of funny and white voice is even funnier. Yes, indeed. I can't do it. I don't no, that's know. That's more nerdy. Like, hi, guys. <laughs> Oh no! You're I'm white, white boys. Yeah, I'm white. You're white boys. That's the best. That's the best accent you've done so far. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, the black-faced sheep were the egg donors. So those were the the cells that were going to get their nucleus removed and just left with the the vessel. And the surrogate mothers and the um the surrogate they were the egg donors and the surrogate mothers and then they used welsh mountain sheep as the nuclei donors right okay so you're getting the eggs from the scottish blackface sheep and then you're getting the dna from the welsh mountain sheep so for weir's experiment uh, they used cells from nine-day-old embryos and cultured them in medium with nutrients that discourage differentiation so they're trying to keep them from dividing and like becoming specialized cells okay uh, because so like these sheep did not get along for centuries. No. You know, but but oh, these, really these scientists said, we will find peace amongst these sheep mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. science. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were growing them to discourage differentiation. So they continuously separated and regrew the cells. Eventually, they thought that they had some of the cells that had reached toting potency. So they're trying to do this over and over again to kind of like weed out the ones that were starting to differentiate and just keep cells that were totipotent, if that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. They just yeah. want totipotent. Yeah. So they performed the nuclear transfer and implanted the embryos. Uh, from this experiment, six sheep were born, but only one came from cells that, have, that were thought to have reached totipotency. So, really? So totipotency isn't where it's at? Yeah, like they only could really get one sheep. So they couldn't really prove that they got these cells to be you know, completely totipotent. Okay. Um, now, Keith's experiment. They implanted nuclei from non-dividing cells into eggs that were exposed to high levels of MPF, essentially placing them in a state of quiescence. So they're taking, like, cells that are not going to, that aren't in the process of dividing or no longer dividing. They're taking that nucleus and putting it in a cell that's, like, really ready to start dividing. Okay. Yeah. Um. So they used electric shocks to fuse the egg cytoplast and the nuclei together. They altered embryos. Uh, the altered embryos were implanted into incubator sheep, which kind of sounds terrible, and then removed to make sure that development had begun. So they put them in the, the sheep womb and they take them out again to make sure like, okay, it's like you're, you know, looking in the oven real quick, hey. but it's sheep. And then this sheep's just like, Fuck. Like, was I like going to the gyne like gynecologist for, <laughs> for this shit? Just like, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so those that had started development were re-implanted into the blackface sheep surrogates and then allowed to grow. From Keith's experiment, uh, eight fetuses and five life births resulted. Damn. Yeah. So That's Keith because, got more. You know, Keith's got that badass last name of Campbell. Campbell so makes up for the whole Keith thing. It really does. <laughs> uh, that and his experimentations yeah. at work. So two of the live sheep died within minutes of birth. So oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, one died about 10 days later. But two did, su- did survive into adulthood. All right. The surviving clones were named Morag and Megan. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that one I don't know. But Morag and Megan, because they're Scottish. Okay. Morag is, is like a Scottish name, I guess, like a Highlander name. I don't know. There can so, only be one Morgan. There can only. It's not Morag. Morgan. I'm sorry. Morag. Morag. Yeah. So they lived healthy and normal and normal lives. Morag even had a baby lamb, and Megan lived until 2005. Aww. So they're like sheepies, little sheep clones. Um, so the methods to birth Morag and Megan would shortly after mother the most famous sheep of all in all science. She is possibly the most famous animal ever cloned and a symbol of biogenetic ingenuity and ethical questions. Can you guess who she was, Jonah? Oh, I know who she was. Bum, bum, drum, drum roll, roll please. please. Go. Dolly. Yes, Dolly the sheep. Woohoo! So Dolly the sheep was born on July 5th, 1996 at the Rosslyn Institute. Uh, the donor nucleus came from a Finn Dorset sheep and the egg, or, you know, that cytoplasmic material, uh, the egg donor was a Scottish blackface sheep. They really like using the Scottish blackface sheep. Um, her surrogate mother was also a blackface sheep, so... Um, that's where they implanted her. So this was done so they could, so there could be like a like a visual uh, way to d- determine that Dolly was not related to the egg donor or the surrogate because they literally have a black face, while the fin dorsets are pretty much all white. They're like the cute fluffy sheep that you think of. Okay. Um, so Dolly was part of the the same series of experiments that created Morag and Megan. However, while the other sheep were cloned from embryonic cells, the nucleus that created Dolly was taken from a fully differentiated adult cell. And that's that's what made Dolly so special. Like, they're not taking this, uh, this, the nucleus from a, an embryo, which has a lot more um, potency. So, like, that, that okay. cell is, like, ready to divide into a bunch of stuff. It's taking the DNA from a fully differentiated cell that, is, at, to this point, was thought that when couldn't be stimulated to grow into an organism. Okay. Um, so she wasn't the first cloned animal. She wasn't even the first cloned sheep. Ultimately, what made her so special wasn't what she was, but what she proved. Up until that point, it was thought that once a cell differentiated, it could not revert back to a totipotent state. The creation of Dolly proved otherwise. It opened the doors to a new field of genetic research and ignited a media firestorm. So... As a BBC article on Dolly stated, quote, Dolly was a sheep created totally by design. Even her name was picked specifically to be appealing. So a celebrity sheep earned a celebrity name. So the cell that Dolly was cloned from came from a mammary gland. Jonah, do you know what mammary, where mammary glands are found? Oh, yes, I do. It's... Um... The breastesses. The breastesses. The titties. The yeah. tatas. The girls. The boobies. The, the boobies. Fun, the fun bags. Uh, <laughs> the, so, yeah. Jonah. What about 
Can you think of a celebrity with big old jugs? Uh, <laughs> this is my favorite episode yet. You know? <laughs> now that I we're talking, you guys should a- see Jonah come alive right now. <laughs> what did someone say something? <laughs> jugs, yeah, I like them. Um, yeah, I can think of a lot of celebrities with big jugs. I'm thinking of there's one correct answer here. <laughs> yes, we all know who it is, and you know she does have a great, great set. But she is her voice is so much, much more amazing. More. She's so much more than a sheep. <laughs> she's she's not a sheep for no. sure. It's Dolly Parton. Yes, it's Dolly Parton. Um, so that is so interesting. Like like so, you're saying that this sheep has Dolly Parton's DNA in it? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> oh, my hands. <laughs> you mentioned boobies, and I was just like, you're yeah, like too yeah. down. No, the cell was taken from the mammary gland of a sheep. Oh, so, okay. Um, well, you and you know, um, one of the te- technicians involved in Dolly's birth, obviously, when dealing with booby material, thought of Dolly Parton. So they're we, most of us did in the nineties. So. Yeah, they're like, yeah. "Ooh, boobies, Dolly Parton." Oh, this cell came from a booby. Oh, let's call the sheep Dolly. Um, so the risque joke stuck, and the sheep, formerly known as Lamb Number Six LL Three, became Dolly. All right. So even the lead scientist on the project, Sir Ian Wilmot, said, "Quote: Dolly is derived from a mammary gland cell, and we couldn't think of a more impressive pair of glands than Dolly Parton's." Wow. So they're, you know, <laughs> amazing breakthrough in science. And then we just had to sprinkle some sexism right on bit. top. Just, we're you know, men. we're men. <laughs> Boobies. Boobies and science <laughs> and sheep. And sheep. Um, Heavy petting zoo. Oh, God. Please. I hope they didn't do anything bad to Dolly. Is that why they were cloning sheep? <laughs> <laughs> Who says they were cloning? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, well, there that was some DNA action going on. Oh, no. Those poor sheeps. Okay, so, so, like, <laughs> so these sheep aren't going to start a band and sing or maybe Jolene, some Jolene. books or something like that. For no, no. They're just going to work nine to five. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you see, Dolly wasn't revealed to the world until February 22nd, 1997. So she was created in, what, 96, right? Okay. They waited six months after her birth to, you know, to reveal her to the world so that it would coincide with the publication of their paper describing the experiment. And the world lost their fucking mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the story, if you were, this is one of the stories that I remember. This is like very early in my memory of being here in the U.S. because I came to the U.S. when I was in, in 97 when I was five. And I remember Dolly the Sheep. I remember the media coverage of Dolly uh, and how big it was. So the story actually ended up breaking a few days earlier than expected. Um, The Rosslyn and the – because, like, their paper was published on the 27th and then, like, a reporter, like, published – like. I guess leaked it on the 22nd. So then they had to be like, well, yeah, we have a clone sheep. Um, so the Rosslyn and the team were completely unprepared for the shit show that ensued. And the week following the announcement, the team at the Rosslyn received over 3,000 3, calls from all over the world. Reporters and news crews crowded into the village of Easterbush. Easterbush, Easter huh? Of Easterbush. <laughs> all right. Yeah, to quote from a Guardian article, quote, aside from taking over many firm pages, Dolly precipitated 
Parliamentary Inquiries, a study by Bill Clinton's Commission on Bioethics, and a revision of the UK Human Embryology and Fertilization Act to explicitly ban human cloning. An imposter sheep appeared on a, a Senussi ad labeled Misappliance of Science and Dolly Story featured on Steve Reich's Three Tales. A minimalist video opera pondering the dangers of the technology. Uh, so that's what the Three Tales was. Uh, for many co commentators, Dolly made generations of science fiction novels and film less speculative. So there, so basically, all this stuff starts happening. Like people start freaking out. They're like, "We're gonna have flying cars now!" And and like, oh, they're gonna make clones of me. Uh. <laughs> they're gonna cure HIV, and that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So while Dolly's creations seem to herald a new evil clone science fiction dystopia, the world couldn't help but fall in love with a cute little sheep. To quote the same Guardian article, quote, She was not timid. She liked humans and eagerly posed for photographers. Mostly, she was bribed with food and grew quite fat as a result. How can you not love that? A, love chunky, a chunky sheep that I'm just cute. poses for the camera. Um, so her first coat was sheared by a champion cheerer, which apparently is a thing, during a public event for the benefit of cystic fibrosis research. And for her entire life, she was just a media darling. All right. So now in the world of this champion cheerer, this was like, he hit the big time, huh? For him. He's like, damn. Like, this is like playing Carnegie Hall or some shit. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shear Dolly I'm the sheep. I'm shaving Dolly. Yeah. I'm shaving Dolly. <laughs> it's like they told him he thought he was gonna be shaving Dolly Parton. He's like, Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and then he got there and like, what's the sheep doing here? Are you making lamb chops or something? What's going on? <laughs> so uh Dolly went on to find love too. She bred normally with a Welsh mountain ram named David. Her first lamb was born in April 1998, and it was named Bonnie. How David cute. better hope he never runs into Jolene. <gasps> well, yeah, fuck. Do you think David left Dolly for Jolene? Jolene the sheep? She could if she wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm trying to like think of like a Dolly Parton song where I can go, bah. <laughs> bah. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, so she had a baby named Bonnie with David. Bonnie. Bonnie. <laughs> Dave. David. <laughs> and in 1999, <laughs> she had. I practiced. I bet you did. You stand so, in front of the mirror like that. <laughs> Every morning, those are my vocal exercises. So in 1999, she had a pair of twins named Sally and Rosie, and then triplets named Lucy, Darcy, and Cotton in 2000. Wow. So, like, so she's getting it on. Yeah. And, yeah. And. So, or like in multiples, you know. It's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So Dolly seemed like a normal sheep by all appearances. However, when she was one, DNA analysis revealed that she had significantly significantly shortened telomeres for her age. And now telomeres are essentially caps at the end of your chromosomes. They are composed of repetitive sequences that protect the DNA molecule during replication. Because when your cells divide, when your um, DNA is replicated, sometimes the polymerase kind of clips a little bit at the end. Okay. So these are just like little overhangs of like nucleotides okay. uh, that, you know, kind of keep like the actual DNA, like the coding DNA from being clipped. Okay. 
And as you age, it gets shorter and shorter because your cell's dividing. So as the cell divide, divides over time, over its lifetime, the telomere shortens. So since Dolly came from an adult cell, her telomeres reflected the age of the donor cell, not like her expected age. Mm. Yeah. So she, genetically, she was much older than she than physically she was. Yeah. She was. Okay. Yeah. So in 2001, she developed arthritis, pro- you know, possibly from, you know, being kept indoors all, ta- all the time. Yeah, that could be it. Um, or it could have been side effects of the cloning. At the time, uh, Ian Wilmot said that the arthritis showed that their cloning techniques were inefficient. So now, Jonah, we come to the sad part of the story. Jonah, do you know how long sheep live? <laughs> Once that barbecue gets out, no. man, they don't live that no. long. <laughs> no. no. So Finn Dorset sheep, like Dolly, generally have a lifespan of 10 to 12 years. Okay, but this one's like all genetically fucked up, so maybe half of that. Not not wrong. Yeah. Um, on Monday, February 10th, 2003, an animal care worker noticed that she had a cough, kind of oh. like I do. Oh. Uh, <laughs> a veterinary bar- barbecue out. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no. <laughs> but <laughs> so um, <Bad> <laughs> a veterinary um, exam revealed that Dolly had contracted. <sighs> you want to try to pronounce that? Um, Jaxiaki. 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 Jaxiaketi. Jaxiaketi. Uh, so this was a virus that caused ovine lung cancer. Aww. So lung cancer in sheepies. Um, Due on, to bad DNA, probably. Well, no. We'll, we'll get into it. Okay. So on February 14, 2003, the decision was made to euthanize Dolly because she was suffering from tumors in her lungs and severe arthritis. Oh, she was only six and a half years old. You know, I didn't say anything, but earlier when you were getting into some of uh, the technicalities of all this mm-hmm. i was thinking tumors like that yeah. sounds like a tumor growing you know like kind yeah like we're growing we're incubating tumors like, i mean that's what babies are yeah it's just dividing cells inside your body which is horrifying yeah anyways yeah, just like tumors <laughs> just like tumors so remember people your children your children were little tumors tumors <laughs> so her death seemed and is still generally considered to be unrelated to her cloning. But on a side note, the possibility of infection with the virus was not unprecedented in cloned sheep. In January 2000, another cloned sheep named Cedric died from the same illness. Ooh, yeah. I see a pattern. Mm-hmm. This prompted Dolly's caretakers into putting her in an isolated confinement. From the Roslyn Institute's own website, quote, she was immediately placed in isolation. She could not, she could hear and see other, or she could see and hear other sheep and was housed with her first lamb, Bonnie, but was prevented from mixing with all other sheep. So they kind of like isolated her to keep her from getting, um, disinfection or try to keep her from getting this infection okay um so in march of that same year morag morag the sheep uh one of the original clones also died from this lung virus so a couple of the clones have died okay same death yeah and morag and dolly were housed together so it's kind of really likely that she contracted it from morag um so once Dolly's lamb, uh, one of Dolly's lambs from her second litter was also infected. So then that really proved that, you know, she was really probably infected with it. 
Okay, so, so this is not has anything to do with their DNA issues. It this just, is an actual virus that they mm -hmm. caught from each other. It's yeah, okay. yeah. And whether or not like the fact that they were clones made it easier for the virus to kill them, like that's still debatable. Okay. Um, so Dolly's legacy in the world of science persisted after her death, but so did her body. What do you think they did to Dolly, Jonah? <laughs> Um, stuff it. Yep. They, they stuffed and mounted her after her death. Nice. Uh, and head she, on the wall. Bam. No, she was oh. complete. Oh, complete. Okay. But she did look a little bit thinner than she was in real life. Like oh, really? didn't want to. I guess didn't like a full her. figure. Well, I mean, do do you ever wonder if is Mothman really that chiseled? Oh, definitely, one hundred percent. Okay. That booty thick. Mm. Mm, moth booty. Um, <laughs> So her body was promised to the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, where she's on display in their science and technology gallery. So she's, you can still go see Dolly. Yeah? Yeah. You can be like, oh. oh. She's got a great career going on. Yeah. Yeah. Any chance you get to see Dolly, go see her. Go, I want to go see Dolly. I do too. That'd Let's go to Edinburgh. Okay. Give us money, guys, so we can go to Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so cloning technology hasn't advanced as much since Dolly's creation. Even though it's moved from the research lab to the commercial lab, we are far from the clone wars. So cloning companies have mostly made a bid to capitalize on reproducing champion animals, such as racehorses. So cloning racehorses. Okay. Pet cloning is another venture made possible by these techniques. Uh, notably, in 2008, singer Barbara Streisand cloned her beloved dog to the tune of $50,000. And, you know, I, on, on the script I put that I probably would clone my beloved kitty Pico, but I probably won't now just because what we're going to talk about. Um, so the controversy over cloning was sparked again in early 2018 when a pair of cloned monkeys were revealed to the world. The identical long-tailed macaques named macaques, macaques <laughs> named. <laughs> she goes again. <laughs> it's a long-tailed macaque. Mm, she likes them long. <laughs> so the long-tailed macaques named Zong Zong and Hua Hua. <laughs> okay, why not? <laughs> were created in a Chinese lab. <laughs> While the cuddling little monkeys made for adorable photo ops, the truth behind their origins was less media-friendly. In order to create the pair, scientists made 79 attempts using different transfer te techniques. Some of these clones only survived for a few days, and others were born with se severe abnormalities. Mm. So, like, that's more of a, like, a cringe factor when it's a non-human primate, primate, because that makes it, that brings it closer to, like, Cloning humans. See, this makes me wonder about that dude in China who didn't he like like uh, take a embryo or whatever and like fuck with um, the DNA structure. So yeah, they, they, get they HIV. And yeah, that was using CRISPR, which is another technology that we'll definitely cover in the future because there's okay. a lot of interesting things happening with that. But that's a gene editing tool as opposed to cloning. Okay. Um, which can be used in gene editing, but it's a little bit more complicated. CRISPR just makes it really easy. Like that's literally your, you can cut and paste oh, okay. in its simplest form. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they did that. I think there was an, one false claim from like South Korea where they said that they cloned a human embryo and got it into like the blastocyst stage. But um, yeah, okay. like the ethics behind that are like really <sighs> negative or like they're like, no one would really try because yeah. it's so frowned upon. Like, they wouldn't be able to publish their research. Um, so another possible use of cloning tech is to bring back extinct animals like woolly mammoths and Tasmanian tigers. 
And Tasmanian Devils, the cartoon version. We have the Tas... Oh. Come to Tasmania. Come to Tasmania. (laughs) I thought he didn't speak. Of course he speaks. I was like... He goes... His vocabulary is very limited. You know, but... Tass, eat, know, eat rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> Shit like that, yeah. <laughs> um, Tass don't like water. But, yeah. So, for this kind of thing, um, as we've learned, it might not be so easy because this type of cloning we can do requires a surrogate mother, especially if we're talking about mammals, meaning we would need an animal similar enough to the animal to, you know, for the implantation to take and then to carry the, the animal to term and stuff like that. So, couldn't we take these clones... And just like mass produce a bunch of like sheep and then mm-hmm. sell them to eat them before yep. they get too old. Uh, well, we can take. All tumored out and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're doing is like if there's like a, let's say a cow that's like really beefy. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a really good um, like, I guess like meat cow. Meat they cow. can take, they can clone it and then just have a bunch of like the same meat cow. Okay. Yeah. Or like milk cow. I think Holsteins are sometimes cloned or, oh. yeah. Um, so overall, cloning is not a clear cut as science fiction tropes have made it out to seem. In reality, a clone will be genetically identical to the nuclear donor, but we are more than just our genes. Effects of our environment and upbringing have just as much influence on us as our genes. As of now, cloning is not an option to bring back, you know, extinct animals or loved ones or, you know, even a beloved pet. It is still a gamble. It is, you know, a precarious technique with implications that we still don't really fully understand. So that's kind of where I am like, mm, cloning is not the greatest thing when we're thinking about, like, replacing, you know, extinct animals or pets. Maybe, like, a kid or something. Um because they're not going to have the same personality. They're not going to have, like, the same temperament even. So it's be like the pet cemetery. They're going to come back evil. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. They're going to see death. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Jonah, that's that's kind of like the little... Uh, I guess it was kind of a longer episode. Sorry, guys. Thank you for sticking around. Jonah, do you have anything to add? <laughs> my DNA and my G-modes. <laughs> no. No one wants <laughs> Oh, no one wants that. All right. Oh, well, I mean, uh, your wife... At some point. <laughs> I'm assuming she still does. <laughs> I'll have to ask her. Hey, baby, you want to try out some of these GMOs? GMOs. <laughs> <laughs> we can try it out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm dead saying it. Anyways, this was interesting. This, yeah. I learned a lot in this episode. Um, I think it was, it was really dense with technical stuff. So hopefully that, that was as clear as possible as I could make it. Um but yeah, it was interesting because like it shows that um, I don't know, like I I I'm not the dumbest person out there, you know <laughs> what I mean? But like I don't be thinking about clones mm-hmm. all the time and stuff. And I don't be thinking about clones. <laughs> and yet, and yet, you know, like you know, watch a lot of TV, and there's mm-hmm. always you know your stereotypical clone story and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. and and it really has nothing to do with any of this actual facts that we mm-hmm. learned today, mm-hmm. you know, and how interesting it was. Um, I can see how helpful this can be. Okay. I really can. Um, I, I, I'm sure just like any great science power or whatever, um, it can be used for evil, mm-hmm. but um, I can totally see how this can actually be used to help. And that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it can, there are certain applications that it can be used for. 
but a lot of research researchers kind of like have started like pulled away from cloning and like this the science itself hasn't really advanced much more than it did when dolly was cloned we got pink slime that's why we got pink slime now Mm -hmm. and you know something like crispr where it makes gene editing so much easier it kind of makes a lot of like you know this very laborious kind of fraught technique a little obsolete in a sense okay plus Um, it's probably not frowned upon as much yeah i mean like there's still you know it's still like a developing science um that they're that a lot of like ethical groups kind of want to pump the brakes on in a similar fashion that you know they they were doing to to cloning and i think that was one of the big hindrances also that um it kind of had a lot of bad like press to it i guess so yeah that's that's cloning all right well great great <laughs> go go, go. let's go make yourself some little clones yep. and like that's kids um <laughs> and yeah we want to thank you all for listening today if you like the show you can go to apple podcast and give us a rate and review if you want to be even more amazing you can actually donate to the show by going to anchor.fm bunsen slash bunsen burner pod and clicking the support this podcast button so we can go see dolly and Edinburgh. And if you want to share your opinion about this episode or if you want to suggest future episodes, drop us a line at our email, bunsenburnerpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on the internet at our website, bunsenburnerpod.com. And we're at Twitter at bunsenburner19 and on Instagram at bunsenburnerpod. I am at Gatos and Tiaras on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook by just searching my name. Jonah, you do some talking now because I'm losing my voice. <laughs> Well, you can find my embryo with no nucleus <laughs> on Facebook. Just type in my name, Jonah Baker, and there I am. Woohoo! Or if you want to get more technical, <laughs> uh, you can find me diploiding. Diploiding? Uh, Yahoo. It's bakerbase at yahoo.com. B A K R B A S S at yahoo.com. And also, we want to thank John Odway for letting us use his song Bunsen Burner as a theme to our show. Go listen to his music. It's what clones would party to. Obviously. Yeah. Like every, yeah. Clone his music and listen to it and share it. Yeah, share it. Maybe like stream it so he kind of gets some money, I guess. (laughs) I don't know that we're sure. (laughs) But go listen to his stuff. He's great. And. All right, you guys, keep your guys' eyes open in case your evil clone wants to come get you. And diploid you. And diploid you. Fill those cavities up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Let me be your